Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs fans, to the Out of Structure Podcast and the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cop Jr. as always. And we're here to talk about the Chiefs' final game of the season. Unfortunately, not the way we wanted to discuss it. The Chiefs uh, fell in overtime 27-24 to to the Cincinnati Bengals in an inexplicable game that we're still trying to wrap our minds around. Last week, we said the same thing about the Buffalo game. This is a very similar gut feeling but in sort of the opposite direction so today we thought instead of going through our normal takes and our normal um you know rundowns and things like that that we would just make this a therapy session a venting session whatever you want to call it so before we move on to the draft before we move on to royal baseball season or or whatever it is now let's just kind of go through as many of your questions as we possibly can. We got a ridiculous amount of questions as uh, expected after last night's debacle. And we will just run through as many of your questions as we can. We appreciate you listening with us all season long. And especially today after this tough loss, we'll try our best to make sense of it with you by going through your questions. Uh, Ron, I know you were there in the stands. You had a totally different experience uh, than I did, but uh, probably feeling somewhat of the same now. Yep. Yeah, that's a heartbreaker, guys. It really is. I really appreciate you guys listening along with us all season. That's why we're just going to get in as many questions as possible. But, uh, you know, this this is this was life as a Chiefs fan for a lot of a lot of our lives. Right. Uh, I know, Stags, you've been through plenty. Um, I'm young, so I miss a lot of the 90s. ones. But I've seen (laughs) I've seen some uh, some heartbreakers and uh, man, in terms of, uh, you know, how it was set up for the Chiefs to be able to maybe add a ring to this uh, this Mahomes era run. How it was set up, you know, being up in that in that half at halftime and not being able to pull away, you know, in at, at home and, and not being able to win that game. That is that is crushing, man. It is going to be one that the Chiefs are going to look back and, and really think about. I feel like for a long time, especially after you know beating Buffalo the way they did, not being able to finish the job. Uh, yeah, this is going to be one we're going to think about for a long time, Stags. Absolutely, I appreciate the old man joke there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't deny it, but uh, uh, yeah, that, that was good. Way to set the uh, set the stage for all these questions. All right, let's let's just run through a bunch here. Uh, Mortis flag uh, at Mortis fifty one fifty. How in the hell did the Chiefs lose that game? Seriously, Cincinnati didn't beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs beat themselves. And I would agree with this take in a lot of ways. This wasn't the same as the Buffalo game where there was a a top notch performance on the other side where it was back and forth, you know, and it was perfectly executed by both teams and somehow the Chiefs just executed better. This game was very well executed by the Chiefs in the first half, and they were out to a big lead, had a chance to just salt the thing away. Uh, the second half, the offense, especially on, for Kansas City, was so poor, it's almost hard to explain. Um, but 
never did I have a feeling in that game that Cincinnati was some juggernaut or that uh, the Bengals were playing some perfect game that you know was going to go down in history as a great performance by Joe Burrow or a great performance by the Bengals and the Chiefs were just unlucky to have run into that buzzsaw. I didn't get that feeling. I got the feeling the Chiefs had this thing sewed up uh, and inexplicably Mahomes had his worst half of the season, probably the worst half of his career, and they still had a chance to win the thing to regulation. I still felt confident they were going to do so, and alas, they did not. Uh, and then they got the coin toss, and I felt confident they were going to win in overtime. And, and the the meltdown, as Paul Markham calls it, the greatest meltdown in Chiefs history, it is really difficult to answer the second half of your question, Paul. Why did it happen? Uh, we can, I think we can all agree this is one of the worst meltdowns in history, but putting the why around it, Ron, is a little bit tougher. Yeah, you're right. And John Doe also asked, you know, how do you put up three points in the second half twice against the same team? You know, TJ Wilson also pointing out how identical it was to week 17, right? It was crazy how identical it was. And, and one thing about week 17 was the offense really just shut it down the second half and they saw the same thing here. And it was weird, you know, the, the Bengals, uh, you know, they got that stop at the end of the first half. Um, I guess we can talk about that where, you know, Mahomes situationally. And, okay, this is my bigger point. And this, and this is going to be the theme of the podcast today is I'm going to be talking in circles around myself all day because it's that kind of game. But let's start, with Mah- let's start with Mahomes' performance because it is ridiculous how different it was. And you pointed out in your winners and losers how different it was from Buffalo, how calm he was, you know, controlling that game, managing that game, especially down the stretch. Obviously, 13 seconds speaks for itself. How different he looked confidence-wise, comfortability-wise, that game compared to this game, down the stretch of this game. And it started with that halftime, right before halftime, with those two seconds or about four or five seconds left. He throws it short of the end zone, and there's no timeouts. And that's one thing, man. He, he thought he had a timeout. Uh, you know, you, you saw him try to signal for a timeout after that play. So obviously you can chalk that up to him not knowing the game situation, which is not good. You have to know how many timeouts you have. Um, and and then in the second half, it continued to where he just didn't look comfortable operating from the pocket. And you got to give the Bengals credit because they they did switch to a eight-man coverage where they were only rushing three, had a guy as a spy a little bit, but he's still playing a short zone, kind of taking away some of the underneath stuff. And so, yeah, Mahomes just wasn't confident and comfortable, you know, playing against that. It was the most he's ever seen a three-man rush and eight-man coverage the entire season. I think next-gen stats had that. So it, it really was the Bengals having a good game plan, but Mahomes not being able to overcome it. Um, and and it just it, – it's weird. I mean, you know, those, those sacks, those – those you know, he had four sacks in the second half. Three of them were on third down. And most of them were – it was not the Bengals just, like, collapsing the pocket and crushing him, and, and, and he wouldn't have any time. It was him not knowing what to do not having windows to throw and eventually just getting a sack. So um, I, I, it was hard to see Mahomes play like that after a really good Buffalo game. And uh, I know it, it is a meltdown. It's an It's the definition of a collapse stags. It was, it was, it was an absolute collapse by the offense and Mahomes himself. It really was. Well, we have probably a hundred questions on Mahomes that we'll get to for sure. Uh, let me read a few more of these questions real quick uh, at 0803 beanie chiefs kingdom is in my DNA. Why did we blow that game? It was in the bag. Uh, Paul, Paula Beamer at Beamer Paula, why did they not kick a field goal at the end of the first half? Uh, that, that drive, and you're right, I think that was a big turning point, and Tony Romo even pointed it out on the broadcast that if they win, if the Bengals went on to win, that 
botched scoring opportunity at the end of the first half was going to be one of the reasons that the Chiefs will have to think about all offseason. And that was really hard to explain. And it was a breakdown of situational football. It was a breakdown of execution. It was a breakdown of coaching and quarterback play all at once because we think, and there's uh, others have pointed this out, we think that Mahomes probably thought he had a timeout. Uh, and that may have been related to that challenge where the Chiefs had, had challenged the play but lost that timeout, even though normally when you challenge, you don't lose a timeout. Uh, I'm wondering if Mahomes had that in the back of his mind, that there was a timeout in the bag. But the stories also came out that Mahomes lobbied Reed for one more attempt at that touchdown. He really wanted to punch one in the end zone there and, and put it on the Bengals. And so Reed gave him another shot. And I think from what I understand, the play call was throw it in the end zone or throw it away quick. And so um, you can you can blame Mahomes for throwing short to Tyreek, which I think is accurate. There's no way he should have thrown that football. You can blame Reed maybe for giving Mahomes that shot. Maybe Andy Reid should have at that point said, nope, sorry, we're kicking the field goal. We're going into half with some momentum and a bigger lead. We'll get the ball back in the second half, uh, and and that's what we're going to do instead of giving Mahomes that extra shot at the end zone. But hindsight's twenty twenty there, but it's really difficult to say um, you know, that that was not a turning point in the game. Everything seemed different after that. Yeah, and I just wanted to answer ML, MLA Sean White's question about why didn't we just – he said, why didn't we just go for – well, why didn't we just run the ball and for, and for a touchdown instead of Patrick scrambling? Well, we didn't have timeouts, right? So that's why you don't run the ball in that situation. Stags, you're exactly right. you got to just take a shot at the end zone, and if it does, if you don't score, then you're just settle for, settling for the field goal. You get ball coming out at halftime, man. You get ball – if you kick that field goal, you go up 14, you know, 24-10 at halftime, you have a chance to go up 31-10 before the Bengals even see the ball back. Obviously, even without, you know, uh, missing, even with them missing that opportunity before the halftime, they still needed a score outside of, you know, to start the third quarter. And they absolutely did not. Um, so, yeah. And, and you know, Wade Chisholm says it himself, you know, the got to put teams away in the second half. The, it was ugly to watch the Chiefs offense. Yeah, guys, it really was. You know, uh, John Waljay points out the last eight possessions, they only had three points. Um, that's just, you know, and that's exactly like I said, it mirrored the week 17 game, which was crazy to see. Um, yeah, no, this, this, and it's, it's funny when you say it mirrored the week 17 game, I almost thought it was going to be the mirror image of the week 17 game because the chiefs had the ball with six minutes left. They put together a six minute drive to kill the clock. They had first and goal from the five yard line. So as bad as things happened, as bad as things went for that, most of the second half, everything was in front of them with six minutes left. Mahomes on starting that drive started throwing to Travis Kelsey and moving the chains. McKinnon had a good run. They threw to Kelsey. Uh, uh, McCole Hardman had another good play on that drive. He had a good game overall. But they moved the ball right down the field, got themselves to first and goal. You felt like, and and this was something that a lot of folks pointed out here, um, like Eddie at PyFan83, they played themselves trying to kill the clock. I think they did. They had the opportunity there. It was inside the two-minute warning. You can tell they were struggling with this decision of do we punch it in and leave them too much time, or do we, uh, you know, do we take some time off the clock and then try to score? And it turns out they took the time off the clock and then didn't score. And so that was a really frustrating way to see that drive end because the whole narrative is completely different. Had they punched that one in, the game's over. 
Mahomes led the fourth quarter drive that that won the game. We would forget about that stretch, those those other you know seven drives where they they didn't score in the second half. All of a sudden, you know none of that matters. The Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Mahomes is the hero, and and the whole narrative is different. Everything feels different. Um, had they been able to punch it in on that one play, and Mahomes did exactly what you couldn't do on that play. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, they had it at the five yard line, and you know we've seen the Chiefs do some pretty creative stuff in those situations to get it in. Right. I'm I'm curious your thoughts on uh, uh, Alton catch fire at Balzik Hangman's question on how great would those goal line plays we wasted in garbage time against the Steelers have been today. I think my opinion. I don't think that is uh, that exactly translates in terms. I think Andy likes to do that stuff in those games to make the real games, the real teams he's going to really need to compete against, actually just think about it rather than actually running it in those big moments. Just, just call the Steelers not a real team. That's that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, well, come on now. That was that was my <laughs> week. That, it, not just in hindsight. We called it going in. But I do think there may be, you know, I, I'm curious your thoughts on just, you know, do, would you like to see them maybe use those plays in these moments rather than it just does seem like they never, they always just, they never seem to go to these plays in the biggest moments. You know, we saw it in the Super Bowl, I guess, but it, it is, it is curious, right? I just, they saved it. They didn't save it for the biggest game, I guess. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see some creativity in that moment. Again, I, I think the, on the first couple of downs, there was an obvious attempt to, to keep the clock running uh, at XAV eight, T-E-R-X, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but they pointed out that um, they threw two passing plays that ended up out of out of bounds to stop the clock and then ignore a clear touchdown and get a sack uh, to end regular time. You know, the, the situational football today, again, we're going to keep coming back to this point, was just not good. The situational football on this particular day was not good. They, you know, ran, ran clock, then they stopped running clock. <laughs> then they thought they were going to score too quick, and then they didn't score at all. Um, I w- yeah, I'd like to see some creativity there. You know, in retrospect, I'd maybe like to see them go ahead and score early. You know, there's a um, that scenario you put the Chiefs up um, by, you know, what would that have been? They would have been up by four, so that would have forced the Bengals to score yeah. a touchdown yeah. in whatever time was left. There was not that much time left. Maybe you trust your defense to – do what they've done all day long and, and hold them to field goals. Um, I, I think there's there's a case to be made there for don't get cute, don't mess around, just get the ball in the end zone and deal with the consequences after that. You know, they 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 did run the clock down. They could have run the ball. They could have thrown the ball. And and yeah, as as everybody's pointed out, and we we looked at uh, it was a Bill Barnwell had tweeted out. There were open receivers on that play, and Mahomes initially had time. Uh, Kelsey was available. Byron Pringle was jumping up and down on the end zone because he felt like he was completely wide open. Both of those guys have been clutch for this team. I'm not sure what Mahomes saw or didn't see on that play. It felt like he was afraid to throw an interception, and he held the ball, got indecisive, and then eventually got sacked, and, and that was – just a devastating result there. It felt inevitable that they were going to score, and and then they didn't. So, yeah, creative plays, sure. Whatever it takes to get the ball in the end zone, I, I don't care if that's a Travis Kelsey you know, pass, uh, finally throwing it back to Mahomes, you know, another big man touchdown. 
or just a just a, a good solid run up the middle behind your stellar interior offensive line with your running backs who are turning out five to six yards of carry, you tell me that given three or four opportunities there that you couldn't have run uh, some combination of Clyde and McKinnon up the middle and scored there. I mean, you know, I'm all for creativity, but when it came down to it, they had to execute. They had to score a touchdown there and in this game, uh, and, and it didn't happen. And then we'll talk about uh, after that, Ron, let's talk about the overdrive, the, the, the overtime drive, which was absurd for so many other Yeah, we do need to talk about overtime, Stags, because that – just look at the box score and that all you, that's all you need to know. Um, and obviously the plays themselves, but two passes or three pass attempts, the first two, both incompletions targeted to Demarcus Robinson on the biggest drive of your season to go to a Super Bowl. You have two incompletions to Demarcus Robinson. And then the third pass, Mahomes tries to thread the needle. And, you know, Jesse Bates, the Bengals safety is a really good safety. He makes a great play coming over and cutting that off. Um, and, and obviously the ball kind of gets in the air and the other safety is able to intercept it. But, you know, I don't, you know, that Tyreek could have, you know, that, that could have been just a great play. You know, it could have turned into a great completion. You know, we're talking about Mahomes threading the needle like that, but it was a great play by the safety. A, a, a worse safety doesn't make that play and, and the Chiefs do, um, you know, advance. But no, Stags, I, I just, especially with not running the ball, as we saw, we saw them run the ball really well, especially you saw all second half, they were dropping eight into coverage. That's when you maybe want to run the ball a little more. And over time, they didn't attempt the rushing attempt and instead decided to throw to Demarcus Robinson twice to set up a touchdown. Yeah, I don't care how many times you say it. I, I still perk up in surprise at hearing that in overtime with a chance to go to the Super Bowl, your first two targets uh, were to Demarcus Robinson. And, and if I recall correctly, both of those those targets were nearly intercepted. Um, and Robinson ends up looking like a cornerback knocking those balls down, had no chance to catch either one of them, if I remember right. Maybe the first one he had a shot to catch but didn't. Uh, the second one he, he knocked down to avoid an interception. As as at, at Mike MIC Johnson on Twitter, first two plays of overtime, Demarcus Robinson after no targets all game, WTF. Um, that is a that is the thought here. There's really no reason, as Phil Forrester points out, no runs, no underneath routes on second and long. Um, not sure what they were doing in, in overtime there. That can't have been the, the first read or the design play call. You know, a lot of people want to question, is it Mahomes? Is it Reed? Is it the play call? Is it the execution? I'm not sure how to explain that, um, but I can't imagine a scenario where the, some of the greatest offensive minds in the NFL huddle up while the coin flip is happening in overtime and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. If we get the ball, we're going to throw twice to Demarcus Robinson and then chunk one deep. Like that doesn't make any sense. Last time against the bills, they, they had a good drive in overtime. They ran the ball. They threw to Kelsey. They, th- they used Hardman. They matriculated the ball down the field. You've got all the time in the world at that point. There's no reason to rush or panic. You set it up. You go with your, your guys that got you there. Um, no excuse, no reason, no logic around uh, targeting DeMarcus Robinson at all in overtime, much less the only two attempts they really got before the interception. Yeah, you got to give credit to the Bengals for playing good defense, playing good coverage. But, you know, it, it, it's not we're not talking about the 85 Bears. We're not talking about a historically good defense. Um, but we are talking about what we all think is a historically good offense, and they have to be able to overcome that. 
Um, Mahomes has to be able to play better. Yeah, he, he he was a little just in terms of he didn't want to you know he didn't want to take the 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 lower level passes I guess or the the shorter passes. Um, he didn't want to scramble as much either, which I thought. And I know we have questions on that, but yeah, no, I I just I, the offense I think it can it's a fair share. It, there's gonna be blame all around. Why right? I think the coaching staff Andy took a lot of blame for for, for the, some of the play calling, which he deservedly does. But you know when you're Patrick Mahomes and and we all consider you the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, there's just nothing. You can't have anything close to what you, what you did in the second half. And no matter the play calling, um, Mahomes needs to be able to make some of those plays, Stags. Yeah, I mean, to sum up the game recap here, I think Steve Williams, that Stevie Williams question is, is, is a good one here. Not even you guys get your way through this one. The Chiefs absolutely should in the second half. Sort of feel free to bleep those out if you need to. Every last one of them, no explanation needed. The better team lost today. They disappeared into oblivion, and that's right. I mean, you, you don't want to sound like a sore loser uh, when it comes to a game like this, like the Buffalo Bills, some of the commentary around them last week saying that they were the better team or that Allen was a better quarterback, and, and they somehow lost because of some inexplicable reason like a uh, heads or tails or a non-flag on Tyreek or some crazy conspiracy theory about a rigged coin toss. You know, I don't believe in any of that stuff. But there's really no explanation for why this team in the second half completely fell apart. There's no reason for it. There's no logic behind it. It all starts with Mahomes. And, and let's just kind of go into some of these questions about Mahomes a little bit deeper now. Um, the Chiefs were the better team. They were the better team through the first half. And then it all dropped. I know you saw some crazy stats on Mahomes as comparing the first half to the second half in terms of his effectiveness and how that ranks historically. Um, but it is it is two completely different players in the first half and the second half. The Mahomes that we saw last week against Buffalo, that we saw in the first week or the first half of this game, completely disappeared. And and none of us can explain it, but we can talk about it. Yeah, you're right. There were some crazy stats. Uh, Shield Capadia of the Athletic had the one about he had the it was the second half was like the lowest EPA per play of Mahomes' career in a in a game or in a span of of time, I guess. But another one was from ESPN Stats and Info: Patrick Mahomes QBR by half Sunday. First half was a 98, and this is on a scale of 100 QBR. So he had a 98 QBR in the first half of this game. Second half. 1.4 second half in overtime i should say 1.4 qbr it's the largest gap in a player's qbr by half in the playoffs since qbr tracking began in 2006 so that shows you that i mean that's the definition of a collapse and that's where we'll get into some of these questions where you know maybe let's start big picture stags i think it, it might be you know interesting to to ask right now from at big time attacks do you think Mahomes is on the same career path as Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson? How scared should we be of that, Stags? That he turns, you know, it, it this turns into talent not turning into uh, as many Super Bowl rings as as for somebody that won early in their career, like Rodgers and Wilson did. Yeah, I mean that I think that should be a concern. Uh, I hate to be, you know, too dramatic about it. Uh, Mahomes has been had a phenomenal start to his his career, and. I think maybe we got ahead of ourselves a little bit with Mahomes, and I, I put this in an article, <clears throat> excuse me, on AirheadPride.com. Uh, it's uh, the winners and losers piece that I did last night. I think it's fair to say that 
Mahomes is is inconsistent as a player. That he's he's got the highest highs, but at his worst, he's he's mediocre or worse. And 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 so when you look at a career path, is he Rodgers or Wilson? You know, versus somebody like Tom Brady. I, I think I threw out the comparison last night that he might be Brett Favre and not Tom Brady. You know, somebody who has got high highs and low lows, and that was the scouting report on him coming out of college. And we all, you know, saw the highs and believed in him. And then there's been so much high over the last few years. But all of a sudden, we're starting to stack up some lows. There were some some moments that that didn't come out the right way. One or two you can explain off as an anomaly. <clears throat> but there may be a pattern now on, on tape, on the record, for Mahomes of not always coming up in, in the biggest game. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. So I think inconsistency is the word that I keep coming back to is that he's not a perfect quarterback. He is going to have bad games. He can't do it all on his own. Now, as we, we learned last year in the Super Bowl, he can't do it all on his own. This year we learned that he's prone to bad games, and he had them throughout the season, and he had half of one just now in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I think the thing going into this game that I, I kept saying, whether I was on 610 uh, with Jay Binkley or just any, you know, our channel or anything, the thing I kept coming back to was that even though Mahomes, Mahomes, Mahomes has had stretches of inconsistency throughout his career, it just never seems to happen when it truly, really matters. It always seems to correct itself by the time he's playing in the postseason. He's really never had that bad of a postseason start besides the Super Bowl last year. You can also say maybe the first half of the 2018 AFC Championship when they couldn't get anything going offensively. So, it, I mean, it's kind of similar to that game, I guess, in terms of the second half they were on fire. It's just reversed this time, right, where the first half they're on fire, second half it flipped. Um, but I do want to get into, like, Kyle at Fidgets 808's question about you know, Mahomes' scrambling ability because I do think it was kind of strange to me that he was so willing to and so good at scrambling through the pocket, up in front of the pocket, kind of getting the yards where they were needed against Buffalo last week. But this week, and it goes into another question we have from at Typical Terror, why did Mahomes run all crazy behind the line but never forward? I think there was a little bit of Mahomes just kind of panicking in terms of pocket presence again. And I, I we saw it earlier in the season and I thought we got it all worked out, but he has not seen, like I mentioned earlier, he has not seen eight man, eight man coverages like that as much. And for some reason, he he did not think it was the right move to be uh, moving forward and kind of running forward and stepping up in the pocket to get scrambles. He was really going back to trying to escape backwards and trying to run around, you know, to the outside of the tackles. And it was just kind of that is a little discouraging. It's just it just kind of makes me think that the pressure got to Mahomes a little bit, and he just tried to, you know, do a little too much and and instead of just playing within the rhythm like we've talked about all the second half of the of the season, he kind of resorted back to trying to do too much again when he saw a defense he wasn't necessarily maybe comfortable with seeing. And now we're going to hear all offseason about how eight-man coverage is the way to beat Patrick Mahomes. You can't wait for that conversation all year. Yeah, it was the indecisiveness that I thought was was really striking that Mahomes last week and Mahomes in the first half plays in rhythm, decisive strikes, throwing on time, Thrown into tight coverage, but but with good ball placement and, and and velocity, he's able to beat tight coverage, and he's been able to do that his whole career. But when he's bad, when he's had off games, when he's had off halves like he just had, it's because he's indecisive. It feels like he's trying to avoid a turnover, and he's taking too much time, going through too many reads in his head, 
and and there is a little bit of that panic factor. And I don't know why that started all of a sudden against the Bengals. I don't think he was under that much duress. You know, he, he took some sacks, but most of those were very, very, very late in the play clock for that particular play. And it was a, you know, it was a situation where you could say that those were his fault. So as uh, Dia Broken Derek on Twitter asked, what was wrong with Pat? Seriously? I, I don't know what was wrong with Pat, but it's a pattern we've seen a little bit with him. It's not always, but every once in a while, when it feels like he's trying to avoid an interception and he plays more timid and he feels more pressure than is there, he's not as good of a quarterback. And, and I, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. It's, you know, every great quarterback, you know, no great quarterback has been perfect. Everyone's had flaws. You know, every quarterback has kind of a way to beat him. Right. And, and I think the special part about Mahomes is always that it seemed like, whenever there was a, a team that thought they figured out how to beat him, he always would come back and counter that. And this is, that's going to be what happens this time, right? It, you know, this isn't, we're not, <laughs> no one should be going like, Oh shoot. Is Mahomes not as good as we thought. Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. In my opinion, it's just, he's not perfect. He's not perfect in these moments. No quarterback has ever won every single time they've gone to the playoffs and, and never had a stinker. And this is one of Mahomes' worst stinkers. And, you know, you get a question from like at John Diddy three, two, one, has Mahomes just become a gimmick sideshow side quarterback, or has he proven that? Um, yeah, no, it, you don't get you don't go to four straight AFC championships and host all four uh, by being a sideshow quarterback. Um, there are bad games that happen, guys, and and he's still he's still as great as as we think. He's just maybe not perfect, and no one should have expected him to be perfect. But I I do think he was to an extent perfect in big moments up to this point. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it, and you're right. I mean, I think that doubt can creep in at this point. You can see some logic behind people worrying about Mahomes and saying that, hey, is, is he just not who we thought he was? Um, and another question from, from Nautical Demon, does he rely too much on magic in big games? I would say that's a possibility, but I think also the team may be relying too much on his magic in big games, yeah. thinking that, you know, if things aren't going well, uh, if they're sort of coasting or, or if, you know, maybe the sense of urgency didn't feel like it was there for a lot of the offense for a lot of that second half because they just knew at some point Mahomes would turn it on, he'd make the big play, and, and the Chiefs would win the game. Uh, and so I don't know if he's relying too much on his his magic ability or his clutch ability, but but I think maybe the team is relying on him a little bit too much. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I do. I think, uh, you know, at some point, Andy, you got to help out your, your quarterback a little more in those situations when you do feel like he is getting a little more panicked. That's why we talk about running the ball. And maybe this is a quick way. I know we're, we're you know, we want to get to a break real quick, but maybe it's a quick way to bring up some of these running game questions in the second half. You know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to count out you guys, shout out you guys for answering the because you are asking the questions because you guys all ask the exact same question. Why didn't we run the ball in the second half one way or another? Allison Schumann. Uh, at the Jordan Rourke on Twitter, uh, next year Chiefs at BTCEATA, uh, not Colin Coward at Chiefs Homer 6969, asking why didn't the Chiefs commit to running the ball? Unbelievable, he says. Nathan King also asked a similar question. So, yeah, I, I do think there was something to the Chiefs needing to help Mahomes out by using their offensive line, this powerful, strong offensive line that can blow guys off the ball, that can create open holes. Just trust them a little more than you did. I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to see the Chiefs become a run dominant team. But I just do think, as you saw the second half go, 
Mahomes just, you could tell, just wasn't comfortable with what he was seeing. The coaches should see that the Bengals are starting to adjust and play more eight-man coverages, which obviously, you know, if they're not, you know, that that should kind of lend to maybe running the ball more. I think that's more of a, a situational thing where maybe the coaches need to understand, all right, this is a good time to take the ball to Mahomes' hands a little bit. Maybe even, maybe it helps him settle in a little more for the second half. Um, but no, they just, they, they, and the RPO. And, and here's one thing real quick. I tweeted this out. That interception Mahomes had, it was an RPO. He forced the pass option. He should have handed it off, but it, it, the pass option wasn't there, but he forced it anyway, and that's why, you know, if, if, D, if the defensive tackle wasn't intercepting, that linebacker was about to. So it was a really bad play, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Take the decision out of Mahomes' hands in these situations where it does seem like maybe, you know, he could use some help. Just run the ball. Don't make it an RPO. Don't make it a pass option. Just run the ball. I do think there, there deserves to be some gripes with how the Chiefs, you know, because they were running the heck out of the ball, man. Jarek McKinnon and Clyde averaged 5.8 yards per carry together, totaled 100 yards together. Um, I, I do think there is something to that, Stags. Yeah, there is, and I think some of it always comes down to the flow of the game and and how your your play calling is affected by by the you know defense and by just where they are and the score and the clock and all of these things, right? But you're right when every play or too many plays or RPOs, then you're putting your offensive line in the tough spot because typically on an RPO, the, the offensive line is going to run block, but they can't get too far ahead of themselves. They can't get past the line of scrimmage uh, in order to risk that ineligible man downfield. So they're run blocking, they're sort of pass blocking, uh, and they're kind of waiting to see what happens before they can really get on the move or really put their head down and, and do what they're supposed to do. You do have a tremendous run-blocking offensive line. You've got two backs that are more than capable of carrying the load. Uh, you know, again, Clyde had six six yards of carry. McKinnon had five point four this game, but they didn't get a lot of carries. And you know, for whatever reason, whether that was not enough designed runs or too many of the RPOs where Mahomes took the pass option instead of instead of the run option, um, you know, I think. You've got to look at the counterpunch. There's there's so many – there's nothing in the NFL that beats everything, right? It's like playing poker. It, it, unless you're talking about a royal flush, every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser, as the old song goes. Every play in the NFL, every defense has a weakness that can be exploited. Every offense has a weakness that can be exploited. And it's just a matter of, of punch and counterpunch. And when the defense's uh, punch is that they're going to drop everybody into coverage – and drop deep and make Mahomes, you know, panic. Then Mahomes has got to run the ball. The the, the Chiefs have got to hand the ball off. You got to throw screen passes or whatever it takes to to move the ball in the weakness of the defense. And if they change it up again, then you got to be ready to change again. I saw a lot of criticism for the coaching staff for not adjusting as this game went on, and and I think those are valid. And I think there's also some criticism of Mahomes that, that are valid there to say. This is what they're doing. This is their punch. What's our counterpunch going to be? Whether it's the running game, whether it's Mahomes running more, whether it's, uh, you know, different passes, different spots. We talked about it in the cover two, when the cover two is the big thing. We, where's the weakness of the cover two? It's up the seam. It's in those intermediate throws on the sidelines. There are holes where you can beat every kind of defense. And for whatever reason, they're not quick enough to adjust, whether it's coaching or quarterback or some combination of the two. 
You said it best, Stags. You really did. And and we have more questions about just big picture stuff and everything. So let's get to those. We're going to get to a break right now. They'll let our sponsors get their word in. And we will be right back with more questions from Twitter. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, Chiefs fans, to the Out of Structure Podcast. Thank you for sticking with us on this difficult day to discuss Chiefs football after a heartbreaking loss, a tremendous collapse. Ron, we tried to give last week's game a nickname. Everybody was talking about the 13-second game uh, last week against the Buffalo Bills. I saw someone throw it out there, but is this the Mahomes meltdown? Is that the, is that the name of this game, or is there is there another way to describe this one in a catchy phrase that we'll remember for a long time? You know what, as, as, you know, awful as that's going to be to hear all the time, mate, potentially, if that is, I like that actually kind of the Mahomes meltdown or the meltdown of Mahomes or something. Cause I mean, it really was the first time he's truly just collapsed like that. I, I would like to work the word collapse in there. Cause I think that's more of what a meltdown is a little slower, right? A little, uh, I don't know, collapse. I think collapse is just kind of everything just going at once. And I do feel like it was more like the whole floor just absolutely you know, coming out from under them and, and call it the, call that the Cincy collapse, the Cincinnati collapse. What do you, what do you think? I, I think I like that too. Yeah. I, I, it'd be nice to have this hard C so we could really get that alliteration going. But uh, no, I, I, I do think meltdown collapse, uh, any word that describes something completely coming undone, unraveling uh, is very appropriate for this game. Well, let's talk about the other half of the ball before we start looking forward. Um, we had a few questions on the defense, and I saw a lot of Twitter back and forth during and after the game saying, fire Spagnolo. Uh, this was a defensive collapse. Uh, what is the defense doing? Really putting a lot of the blame on that side of the ball, which I frankly haven't seen it that way. If you look at the, the score total, I mean, 27 points is usually not enough to beat the Chiefs. Uh, you look at the the, the defense generally holding the, the Bengals to field goals. They had a number of field goals uh, throughout this game uh, as opposed to giving up big touchdowns. They contained Jamar Chase this time, 54 yards and just the one touchdown. T. Higgins was the one that sort of took advantage, but he's still six catches, 103 yards on 10 targets. Uh, you know, is not is not a uh, an epic game from him. Joe Mixon had 88 yards, but – took him 21 carries to get there. Joe Mixon, even his stat line, 250 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I mean, that's not, 
hero ball. That is not an epic, you know, failure of the defense. This is not a Cincinnati team that just, you know, put it, took it to this Chiefs team on, on the defensive side of the ball. So that I'm not sure that I buy this narrative that the Chiefs were a problem. The Chiefs defense was a problem, excuse me. But we really have some specific player questions here from Greg at G. Kinsey on Twitter. Why does Sorensen and Neiman still get to play third down? The only stops seem like when they were when it was Willie Gay uh, and Nick Bolton on the field. And I, and I think that's right in a lot of ways. Those guys played really well. Yeah, that's one thing you notice in the snap counts uh, defensively. Uh, Willie Gay led the linebackers in snap counts with 86%, which uh, without looking, I, guarantee, I, I would bet that's close to a, a career high for him for a game. Hitch still at 64%. Bolton was actually at 48%. But the one noticeable one was Neiman. He was only on 13% of the snaps, which kind of which tells you, first of all, they weren't in a lot of base. The Bengals do a lot of 11 personnel, which has three receivers. Uh, well, Neiman doesn't play base anyway. But the dime, they were out of they were out of dime more than they usually are. Honestly, they they I think they trusted Gay and Bolton to stay on the field and nickel in those situations a little more than usual, which is good. But that's the thing. That's been something I've talked about all year is that. He really loves to to use the dime in certain situations because I do think he likes uh, the Sorensen's ability to maybe be a safety and a linebacker slash blitzer, um, no matter how questionable that is. Uh, and then for whatever reason, he really he likes to have that separate dime linebacker, you know, separate from the his best linebackers. I mean, Neiman's the fourth best linebacker on this team, and somehow he is the dime linebacker. So I do think they went. I think they kind of maybe Spags is realizing maybe he should not use that package as much now that he has linebackers that are capable of playing all three downs like a Willie Gay. Um, and so I'm hoping that going into the 2022 season, talk about big picture, maybe we see less of that. Or maybe Willie Gay is just a dime linebacker next year, right? And maybe the dime is a little different. Maybe it's not Sorensen as that third safety, maybe, you know, some moves this offseason. And maybe the dime defense is all of a sudden a, a lot more dangerous and maybe we're not as uh, upset with them running it like we have been the last few years. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've said it for years and, and all throughout this season when, when when 56 and 49 are out there, they're targets uh, for the opposing offense. And the Chiefs have a bright future on defense with Willie Gay Jr., with Nick Bolton, and with some of the guys uh, around them. I thought uh, LeJarius Sneed was really good yesterday. That interception was an absolutely spectacular play. Traverius Ward had a good game, I thought, uh, a second one in a row for him. You know, there's – there's pieces there, and, and I think in this game they felt more confident with with Rashad Fenton back in the game, with Tyron Matthew back in the game. I think they they trusted their their secondary a little bit more, and for the most part it paid off. Again, 250 yards for Joe Burrow, and, and holding Jamar Chase under 100 yards, 54 yards for him. Uh, those are pretty decent results from the passing game, and, and they they didn't get run all over either. So. Um, Whatever happened on the defensive side, I think they did okay. Uh, but I absolutely think that there's a, a strong argument to get those two guys off the field or off the team if they can. Yeah. Uh, well, you have other questions on defense too. I want to make sure we talk about the pass rush, though, Stags. I want to make sure we get that yeah. in. Do we have a question well, about the pass rush? At FanKC58 points out Chris Jones, uh, the stat that came out on Twitter after this game remarkably the chief's best player, the best interior pass rusher outside of Aaron Donald has zero playoff sacks in his career. Uh, that's a good pull on that stat, but it's a, a remarkably disappointing stat. And I thought the pass rush, the, the sack nation, the, the guys that, you know, the, the, you hang your hat on when it comes to the chief's defense 
outside of Melvin Ingram did absolutely nothing in this game. Chris Jones had in one of the bigger plays of the game on the defensive side of the ball, had Joe Burrow dead to rights, almost got him twice on the same play, let him escape, got a first down. And that led to a, if I remember right, led to a touchdown that, that really put them back in the driver's seat of this game. So disappointing game from Chris Jones, a quiet game from Frank Clark. You know, I saw some plays in the running game. I thought where Frank Clark was very active. I thought he was, he was working. It wasn't like he was, he was not trying, but the pass rush just was not good enough. This, this is a Bengals team that gave up nine sacks last week to a Tennessee Titans team that is not that I wouldn't even say they're more talented than the Chiefs defense at all. And all of a sudden they gave up one sack this week, uh, one sack. And that was a Melvin Ingram play that was phenomenal, by the way. Um, but, you know, nothing for Chris Jones, nothing for Frank Clark, nothing for any other, any of the other complimentary pass rushers. Uh, a disappointing result for sure. Yes. Disappointing is the only word because this, this pass rush, there's a lot of investment in this pass rush, right? I mean, we've seen them sign Frank Clark and Chris Jones to incredible, incredibly big deals. I mean, two of the biggest deals for a pass rusher in the NFL. They even went, went ahead and signed Jaron Reed. I know it was just a one-year deal, but you know, they went out of their way to get another, another guy. And then obviously they bring in Melvin Ingram middle of the season. There's a lot in, of investment and, and, and trusting that this pass rush can be dominant. I think we all kind of assumed the pass rush was dominant. Right. And, and I think that was one of my takeaways from things we learned is that the, the pass rush just isn't as dominant as we perceived. I mean, that was one thing where I really thought it was going to be the key to this playoff run was that this is the best pass rush the Chiefs have had in a playoff run in the Mahomes era. You know, I think a D, the D4 Chris Jones, Justin Houston, 2018, probably rivals it a little bit. But, man, we're talking about uh, – I, I would I would give it to this year's team until this game, right? And, and I think not finishing those plays – you can say, you know, I actually questioned it, right? Is it more on Burrow being really impressive and being able to get out of those, or is it more on the pass rush? It is more on the pass rush. You can't, you have to finish those plays. If you're Chris Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the league, and 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 you say it happened, you say it happened uh, and led to a big big touchdown. It happened multiple times where Jones was had him dead in the rights and, and Burrow sque- squeezed out somehow. Just just disappointing, man. This pass rush, and and I think we're gonna see a lot of overhaul in it this this offseason. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, Frank Clark had an interesting quote after the after the game saying, you know, he doesn't want to go anywhere. You know, he has a he built a house here. He has kids that go to school here. He would like to stay in Kansas City explicitly. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, again, he we talk about him in the playoffs, showing up in the playoffs. He didn't this year. He just didn't. I, I, I'm sorry. I love Frank, honestly, but he just didn't show up in the playoffs this year like he had in the past. Well, that's a good transition to the future conversation here. Again, we're not yet on to the draft. We won't talk about a lot of draft prospects uh, until later in the offseason. But we had a ton of questions forward-looking about how to remake this roster, how to get back into it. And there were a lot of questions that started right there with the pass rush. So uh, somebody threw out the idea. Let's see, Daniel Rung. Uh, I would consider trading Chris Jones. Uh, he's often he's awesome for about a quarter, then he gasses out completely. Um, there were... Other questions about uh, Frank Clark and Chris Jones as far as clearing cap space. Um, and, yeah, there's been a lot of people who have insinuated that, that Frank Clark has zero chance of returning with this team. I'd put it higher than zero. It's a non-zero chance that he comes back. And there were some that were pointing out on Twitter that he seems like a guy who might be due for a pay cut, but he might be willing to take that understanding uh, that this is a good place for him to be in his career. 
hit that contract hasn't worked out very well, but he's been a good player for this team. What what they need is some great on defense. And I think in games like this, it really highlights the fact that this defense is predicated upon pressure. If you don't get pressure, it, it doesn't work as well. But also, you need some big plays to happen on the defensive side of the ball. It can't always be, you know, let's slow them down and then hope our offense outscores them. I would like to see some impact plays from this defense that just have been a little bit short uh, this year. There, there hasn't been as many of those impact plays, sacks, turnovers, you know, th- those types of plays by this defense uh, than what we'd like to see. So um, there is a real question about the future of Frank Clark. Uh, there's a question about Chris Jones and whether or not he's justifying his contract. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other uh Questions about, you know, like at Bud's ABB asking about, do we let Tyron Matthew walk and use the money to sign some pass rushers, essentially? A lot of questions about Tyron Matthew as well. So let's talk a little bit through free agency with those three key guys. uh, Do you keep, you know, re-sign, ask a pay cut, you know, uh, of, of Chris Jones, Frank Clark, and Tyron Matthew? Yeah, Chris Jones, I think, does. I, I think he does have a, a place in Kansas City. I think as much as he hasn't maybe completely justified the contract, I do think he has universally still one of the most disruptive defensive players in the NFL. And if you ask anybody, it's still the truth. And, you know, I, I, we've, we've ragged on him a little bit for missing those sacks. But at the same time, man, if he actually does make those sacks, then we're talking about him, you know, winning this game for the Chiefs and being, you know, one of the best players on the field because, you know, he did win those reps, right? He got to Burrow and and – he does deserve some fault, obviously, for, for missing those tackles. But the Tyron Matthew one is the one that interests me the most, Stags, I will say, because he's actually a free agent, right? We, we there's no He's not a chief as of March, whatever, whenever the league starts. He is an unrestricted free agent. They could franchise tag him, which I do think might be the most likely thing, depending on how they want to they, they wanna handle the defense. I do think there's a chance. We can see quite a bit of overhaul defensively. You know, Veach has this tendency, right? And we've seen it every offseason pretty much to overcorrect. And, I, and as much as the defense wasn't necessarily the reason they lost this game, I do think it could be a way for Veach to overcorrect in terms of let's get these veteran defensive players out of here. Let's get younger. And that could start with a guy like Tyron Matthew, who is older, guys. He's as much as, you know, he was a first-team All-Pro safety his first two years in Kansas City. He's made such an impact here. Obviously, you know, one of the best safeties in the league. But, you know, you you got to be you got to have the Patriots mindset at some point in terms of, you got to be one year early on a guy in terms of letting go than one year late. And I, and I tend to think that 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 might be what happens here, but I do think it's interesting because Matthew's comments after the game, you know, Pete actually was the one who asked the question about his future and man, I didn't see the video, but from what I heard, man, and, and I'll try to get started to actually put it in here for you guys, the listeners, but he sounded pretty emotional talking about his future with Kansas city. He, he sounded almost like he was choking up a little bit. Sounds like he really wants to be here. I mean, I, you know, I hope so. You know, um, you know, ever since I came here, you know, I've just tried to be the right kind of teammate. Um, you know, I've tried to play my part and, you know, uh, obviously, you know, it's always that feeling that, you know, you can make more plays for your team, but, um, I'm hoping it works out. Um, you know, I don't have any control over that. Um, you know, I feel like everything that was in my control, you know, uh, I tried my best to, to handle it and, and, and to do it with a smile. So, um, I love this team. I love this locker room. You know, it's a lot of that I have great relationships with. And so I'm hoping. Yeah. But 
there's a reason uh, there might be a reason it hasn't happened yet stags and we talked about it all season but there might be a reason matthew has not get that contract played out yet because there might he might just be not be in kansas city next year at mortis 5150 asks what does your gut tell you will tyron matthew be back next year if you'd asked me this question the first half of the season you know and and everything leading up to that i said why hasn't he signed already like this this should have already been a done deal I'm finally starting to come around to this idea that, just like you said, maybe the big play, you know, dynamic player that that we know as Tyron Matthew, maybe he's sort of on the downhill part of that part of his career. And he's solid. Um, he's the emotional leader. He's an inspirational guy. He's a great guy in the community. Uh, and obviously, the the defensive backs rely upon him a hundred percent to know where they're supposed to be. Because if he's not in the lineup, they are running around like chickens with heads cut off, having no clue where to, where to line up. And part of me thinks that maybe he's become too much of a crutch for those guys in the secondary, that, that maybe some of those other guys need to step up and figure out how to line up on a defense without Tyron Matthew telling them how to do it. I don't know. It's it's tough call because I do love the player and, and the person, um, but, you know, if you're asking to commit a whole bunch of money to a 30 year old, 30 plus year old uh, safety, you know, who hasn't made as big a plays in the, in recent history, then you come to know from him. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a conversation there to be had. So if it's me, I think I focus a lot of the offseason resources on re-signing Orlando Brown. I think he's earned it. You know, it wasn't the best day for him yesterday, but I think he's, he's shown enough to get a new contract and justify the trade. And then you consider, you know, either a franchise tag or some lower offer for Tyron Matthew to say, we'd love to have you stick around, but the big deal maybe that you've been wanting is just not going to come here. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, you've got to figure out, can Frank Clark take a pay cut and stick around? Uh, or do they need to just move on from him? I think logically you're going to say they're probably going to move on from him, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, Again, a whole bunch of good questions uh, from you all about the, the future and, and who should they keep and who should they let go. But let me, Ron, let me give you a chance to react to that. Yeah, because I do think the thing with the Tyron, and I think it actually could apply to Tyron and Frank, but, uh, you know, it, it is maybe a little easier to just be like, okay, well, it's time to move on. They're a little older. But when you look at the actual position they play and, and the rest of the position on the team, you know, our, the safety position is very shallow and if you lose Matthew all you have next year under contract right now is Thornhill uh, Sorensen and uh, Armani Watts are free agents and you know I, I'd like to see them kind of maybe you know revamp the safety group in terms of not bringing back Sorensen but the thing is maybe you don't want to revamp it that much in terms of you're going to only have one guy on on continuation and Thornhill who man I we really like what he saw his rookie year but he has not proven anything in terms of a guy that you can just put in there, sharpie him in, as a, I said that last week. But, um, yeah, so and I think you can maybe say the same thing about Frank Clark. They do have a little more depth at defensive end. You know, a guy like Mike Dana, guys like, you know, Joshua Kando hopefully can kind of develop a little more, um, you know, younger. But at the same time, man, they don't have a veteran presence on that edge, edge position besides Clark. You know, Okafor is a guy they just signed right before training camp last year. It'll be interesting because that might factor into, you know, they might just have to kind of swallow the pill and say, we just don't want to revamp it that much. Yeah, Some you, of our guys. you know, that's a good point about the safety position. I hadn't thought about the depth or lack of depth there. 
I think you'd like to see them move on from Sorensen. You'd like to see them maybe upgrade from Armani Watts. Uh, but then all of a sudden, if those guys are gone, Matthew's gone, and you're building around uh, Juan Thornhill, you got to put some serious assets towards safety. And, and I think, you know, is that the next position that they go after this year? Um, you know, when, when Veach gets to his overcorrection, is, is it going to be um, – is it going to be safety? Is it going to be, you know, defensive backs or, or defensive line? You know, I think there's there's a case to be made for all of those positions. Um, yeah, well, and that might be a good way to ask Steve or answer Stephen Stark's question at how Stark KC. And just real quick thinking about it, you know, without knowing much of many of the prospects, you know, I've started some studying, but obviously, you know, we've been pretty, you know, caught up in the Chiefs season. Wide receiver, DB, your edge in the first round. Right now, I would probably lean towards edge because uh, wide receiver, I think, is maybe the most important thing, in my opinion, just because I think offense is, is the most important thing. Um, but at the same time, man, you can find receivers later in the draft. You can find guys, as long as you do your scouting, you can find a guy second or third round that can, that can be a star. We've seen that plenty of times, right? The, the, the drop-off from the top tier of edge or, like, defensive linemen or pass rushers, it drops off really quick, and so – if you can find a guy you really like in the first round, we saw this last year, Odafe Owe for the Ravens has been a good player. Gregor Russo for the Bills. They were both late first-round picks. If you can find a guy like that, I, I think Edge is probably the way to go, Stags. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I, I've always been of that same philosophy, is that you know, you've know you got to invest heavily in that position, period, especially on this defense, and you're not likely to get a fully well-rounded Edge player after the first round unless you just get really, really lucky. You can make the same case for defensive backs and say, you know, this team has gotten by cheap at corner and they've had the same safety tandem for, for a bit. Um, it might be time for them to invest in a blue chip prospect at cornerback uh, or, you know, get a dynamic safety that can be your your main guy and have Thornhill be a complimentary guy next year, uh, continue to be a complimentary guy, I guess. So I could see the case for defensive back. I would probably lean towards edge and then wide receiver might be a position you just address in free agency. There's going to be a massive free agent class of wide receivers and not coincidentally, I'm sure chiefs have already been linked to the two of the top players in that free agent class. Odell Beckham jr. And Juju Smith-Schuster have both been mentioned in the media, whether it's speculation, whether it's a quote from them, but being linked to the chiefs with some of those veteran wide receivers and the work they did on veteran wide receivers last offseason tells you that they're likely to be players in that position in free agency this offseason. And so if they address wide receiver in free agency and you've got Hill, you know, one of those guys uh, as the number two, you've got McColl still back in his gadget role and you've got Pringle as a number three or four, then your wide receiver room is not in bad shape. And you can focus your assets uh, on defense in the draft um, because I really think that they've got – they only have a few positions they really need to attack. And I think the, the Brett Veach overcorrection is going to be on the defensive side. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a good way to maybe answer Jake Wilson's question. Is the missing piece from the Chiefs offensive puzzle Sammy Watkins shaped? Which obviously, you know, I, I get he, – he's not – I don't think he's getting at, hey, we should re-sign Sammy Watkins. I think he just means – you know, having another top talented receiver that you can really trust to to win, 
you know, uh, against, a, you know, another good corner and, and really, you know, win a matchup. You know, I've said it all season, but, you know, not having Watkins for a playoff run, he was such an important piece of their first couple playoff runs. Um, I do think it could be something. And those two guys you mentioned would kind of fit the mold of what he's saying with that Sammy Watkins shaped puzzle piece. You know, uh, a guy like Odell Beckham has obviously revamped his his stock. I mean, he's going to be a well sought after guy after, you know, going to the Rams this this year and, and playing the way he has. The Juju Smith-Schuster thing is kind of interesting, man. I know, I, I think a lot of Chiefs fans just, you know, see kind of the TikTok stuff and just, event, you know, immediately go, no, we don't want him on the team. Um, you know, the Chiefs are linked to him for a reason. I do think he fits kind of that X role, kind of winning short, kind of being able to play a physical kind of win on routes, that kind of thing um, that the Chiefs would like. And also, since he was hurt all this year, and and you mentioned how stacked the receiver class is, I can see that being a pretty inexpensive deal for him. Um, he doesn't really have a, a leg to stand on in terms of leverage. Uh, uh, you know, he's kind of a guy that started hot and hasn't really looked, you know, like a, a true star the last few years. But, yeah, if he's your third option behind, behind Kelsey and Hill and you still have a guy like Hardman to, like you said, you know, do that gadget stuff, which he has excelled at. You know, we haven't talked about McCall Hardman, man. McCall absolutely killed it down the stretch of the season uh, in his role. You know, he's still not a wide, a, a, you know, a traditional wide receiver too, but that's fine when, when he's killing it like he did in his role. And ha- bringing in a guy like, you know, whoever we just mentioned, Odell, Juju Smith-Schuster, another big name, because there are a lot of big names in free agency, as you mentioned, that we did not say. It will just only help McColl get better at that role, because if they if they if they have even less attention on the Hardman, you know, trying to stop Hardman kind of because they have other guys, it's only going to get let Hardman's job even easier. And uh, he's going to you know, he could take another step forward next year and, and you know, be just an elite gadget player. Right. Yeah, I think those are all good points. I think there's some some potential there in free agency on the offensive side of the ball uh, at Joe Mendoza at Joe Tato. What's more important to fix than the offseason, offense or defense? It, it does sound strange after a day where we literally just saw the offense melt down and, and the defense was okay. Um, you know, I think we, we've so far agreed that you, you really need to fix the defense in a lot of ways. They do need to figure out some things on offense. And I don't know if that's coaching related, if that's Mahomes related, you know, if, it's, if there's other pieces missing. Uh, obviously, another wide receiver is part of that. But going down this list of questions, there is a bunch of questions about the coaching staff at train reigns. Uh, does Reed not have a killer instinct um, at um, hog heads? Should Andy Reed lose his job after not coming up clutch once again uh, at two victory chiefs choke like usual, Andy Reed style. Um, and there's a lot of questions about Steve Spagnolo about who's calling the play plays on offense um, at Peter uh, Sotelo too. Should we get rid of Andy? We're the Eagles now. Um, you know, Steve Spagnolo. You know, why couldn't he make adjustments? Should there be changes in the coaching staff? Uh, B at B Jarns, uh Kovbo. Sorry, I know I butchered that. <laughs> butchered <laughs> Bjarn Skovbo on Twitter. Uh, should should there be changes? E B Spags um, at Vol underscore Air is the personnel the issue or Spags the issue on defense? So. A million questions about coaching staff changes. Do you put a loss like this or really a, a, a season where it was a struggle from beginning to end, do you put that on EB, on Spags, or on Andy Reid, uh, or, or any combination thereof? They absolutely deserve some blame, right? And, we, and we've talked about it a little bit with just some of the play calling and stuff. But no, I don't think it's it's – 
to the extent of they need to be, you know, there needs to be some coaching overhaul. If they can keep the exact same staff they have, I think that's a benefit to them. I really like Spagnuolo as a defensive coordinator. I really think he's he's a great leader. I think that I think he really is. You know, he relates to the players. He's kind of has that young spirit where I, I really I just really like him as a leader of the defense. Yeah, there's some things I I really you know we already talked about the dime defense relying on that too much. You know, maybe not adjusting as much as maybe you know we could see. Although, man, it, it, he's not the one missing sacks on Joe Burrow. Um, you know, he's he's. He's not the one in the, you know, uh, just, in, you know, blowing coverage at times, you know, in that Bills game. Um, although, you know, putting maybe Armani Watts out there, you know, you, you don't have a lot of other options. But all that to say, I, I really don't like putting it on, on Spagnolo too much and, and Andy. I think that's a really good combo of a offensive play car, defensive play car, one of the best in the entire NFL, in my opinion. And I think you keep that going. But, you know, if there is ever, you know, if Andy Reid ever decides, you know, it's, it's, getting a little too much he's getting up there you know I, I do think if Andy's ready to go I do think it I, I'd like maybe that time to be maybe get a younger defensive mind in there um, even if Spagnuolo necessarily doesn't deserve to you know be let go necessarily maybe um, but I do think with their window they're in wow they're trying to win every season right in a win now mode I don't really want to see them go through another um, defensive coaching overhaul I think personnel overhaul would be fitting and, and welcomed um, but a coaching overhaul I really like the staff they got I really do defensively, and I really would, you know, unless it just completely collapses over the next few years, I, I, I think Spags should be the defensive coordinator until, you know, he gets a better job or until Andy's uh, done coaching. Yeah, I, I would hate to see another dramatic shift on defense where they go from the 4-3 back to the 3-4 or, or, you know, one of those things where you're all of a sudden your personnel have to go through a, a total scheme change. I think they've they've been through that and there's some comfort level with what they're doing now. There's still room to grow there within this scheme, and I think there's some pieces missing uh, from a defensive standpoint that, that can make a difference. You know, when it comes to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, there's a lot of questions about play calling. Who is it that's calling the plays? Why can they do they only end up with three points in the second half against uh, the, the Bengals twice in one season? You know, where is the where is the breakdown uh, at Douglas Tesh? Uh, does Andy need to take play calling back from Eric Bieniemy? Um, I'm not sure he ever gave it up. Uh, that whole discussion about who's actually calling the plays is uh, is interesting because we don't actually know. And and Andy Reid's always very coy about it in the press conferences. Uh, at Berndo Calrissian, uh, who was calling the plays, uh, was there not more? Uh, to use against those three-man rush. So there's a lot of questions about the play calling and who's actually doing it as my dogs bark in the background. I appreciate the, the patience there, but I don't know who's calling the plays. I don't think we're ever going to know for sure, but the combination has been pretty successful at times. It's just a matter of how do they develop the consistency they need. Yeah, no, your dogs are just, uh, you know, they're just kind of upset with the the talk about getting rid of Andy and, and Spags. You know, they know they know what the right answer is. Uh, no, I the offensive play calling thing is an interesting point because, yeah, we don't ever exactly know. But what we do know is that it, it's not one person. It's a mix. You know, it, they, they do coordinate. They do kind of counsel, um, you know, as the game goes, whether – you know, I do think, you know, maybe like a B enemy maybe calls a play situationally in terms of like maybe in the red zone, or maybe that's like Andy calls it in the red zone and Eric B calls the rest. Of, you know, I do think there's, 
they, they all either way and Kapka's involved in that too they all counsel during the game and all are calling plays almost kind of together and I do think Andy has the final say on it and so yeah that's why you hear Andy take blame it's not you know he's not trying to deflect blame away from a guy like the enemy you know I he's not just trying to say the enemy you know didn't do anything wrong I think he just knows that it, it starts and ends with him he's the offensive guy and He's a you know he's not letting a play call go in if he doesn't like it. I mean he he's he's the one that's making sure the play call is the play call they want to do. You know I do think the enemy might you know hey hey I really want to run this play I really believe in it and you know Andy's gonna trust this guy. But um, all that to say, you know I, I think the whole staff deserves a little blame. But you know at the same time, uh, like we said at the beginning, I really think a better Mahomes performance, a more relaxed, comfortable Mahomes, a more confident Mahomes, like we saw against the Buffalo Bills. Um, wins that game and so it, it is a little discouraging um, you know you can only put so much on on the coaches when your quarterback you know just looks as helpless I hate to use that word but it, it seemed like helpless was the right word for how he played in the second half absolutely there's only so much you can do from a coaching standpoint uh, and we'll never know the right combination there in, until it works but you hope that this offseason is one where they focus on building what works building on what works eliminating those lapses in time, whether that's uh, personnel, whether it's coaching, uh, whatever it is, you certainly would like to see them develop more consistency to be a more, more solid winner uh, going forward and not have these, these stretches of the season and of a, in, inside of a game where nobody can really do anything positive. Um, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up with a, with a few, uh, which I thought were great questions and points here. At Crypt Chiefs, how do I stop the, my heart from hurting? Uh, and why are the Chiefs trying to kill me with a stroke or a heart attack? Totally understand that sentiment. Um, there's another another question from that Taylor Goodman. What's the point? In all seriousness, <laughs> three straight AFC championships. Uh, I'm sorry, three, three straight AFC title games, two straight Super Bowls, one Lombardi. Everybody calm down. And I think that perspective was echoed by at K Lily 12. I don't have a question, but I've been a fan of the Chiefs for 50 plus years, so slightly longer than me, Ron. Many of <laughs> you don't realize how lucky we are to have a competitive team consistently makes it into postseason play. These guys, the coaches and the players, are doing the best. Be thankful. They're still a top four team in the NFL. Um, I think that's good perspective, and I think we should, after we get a little bit of space, be able to reflect on this season and say they did a lot of good things this year. There were a lot of uh, moments. There were a lot of games that we'll remember for a long time. They went through a ton of adversity and found a way to get themselves back to the AFC Championship game at home for the fourth straight year. I think there's a really you know, impressive run there, and there's a lot of good that can come out of a season like this. There's nothing this team hasn't seen or been through. We said that as a positive last week that – they're prepared for any of the big moments because they've seen it all. They've been through it all. There are a lot of moments in a team's career and a player's career where things don't go their way. Tom Brady lost Super Bowls. Tom Brady's had had big moments where he's he's failed. Uh, it happened to everybody. Again, watch the Joe Montana documentary on Peacock uh, because it happened to Joe Montana before before Brady and every quarterback before and since then. There's going to be successes. There's going to be failures. We are pretty lucky to be fans of the of this franchise as opposed to others. Uh, I think somebody pointed out that uh, uh, now that Matt Stafford is in the Super Bowl, 
and Eminem is playing. That's the closest the Lions have been to the Super Bowl in our lifetime. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's, that's mean. That's that mean. mean. There's a lot of it's easy to bag on some of these other franchises. Um, the Chiefs are still part of the class of the league, and they're building things the right way. They have a lot of young talent, and they have a whole offseason ahead of them, which we're excited to talk about with you as the Out of Structure podcast goes on through the through the offseason. We'll talk about the draft. We'll talk about free agency. We'll talk about contracts and everything else uh, leading up to the the opportunity for the Chiefs to do it all again next year and hopefully with a better ending. Yeah, let me say bye to the people, Stags. It's been it's been a great ride. Now this is our first year doing the pod together. You know, we we wrote together the first couple of years, but we weren't you know talking with each other every week like we are now. So first of all, really appreciate you, Stags. It's been a fun show getting to do this every week. It's a great way to kind of you know, talk through, you know, each of the highs and the lows of each week, um, you know, kind of instant reaction before, you know, I, I break down the film or, or kind of looking in deeper and kind of, you know, we hear from the pressers and stuff. So shout out you stags. I think we did a good job. We could, we could do better. We're, we're getting better first year. You know, we got the, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we're going to have a great second year on this pod, but it was all made by your guys' questions too. Really appreciate you guys asking questions every week. Uh, listening along we had you know we had the the twitter accounts you could you saw every week right and we shouted out a lot of those guys we tried to shout all you out all you guys out today as much as we could but yeah this is the best thing about chief's kingdom is i really think we're passionate about the offseason we love looking at the draft we love looking at free agency there's always a lot of discussion about all that we're not just a team that that shows up in september or a fan base that shows up, up in september and and roots them on blindly right um and that's why i love working for ap that's why i love working for arrowhead pride because that's I'm the same way. And that's exactly how I got into this. I, you know, I want to go into every detail of the off season, every detail of the team. And, and so do you guys. And so that's what we're going to try to do this off season. We'll be talking about it. Me and stags, the rest of the AP crew, we're going to get everybody involved in draft prep, free agency prep. And we're just going to, we're going to break it all down for you guys, but it, it wouldn't be possible without you guys listening, without you guys interacting with us on Twitter or wherever it might be. So shout out you guys, shout out the listeners. Appreciate you guys sticking with us in, in, in a roller coaster of a season. And uh, it ended on a low note, but that does not mean it's not going to be back on a high note uh, sooner than later, Stags. You bet. Thanks, Ron. And, and thank you to all your work. Uh, we're lucky to have the lead analyst for Airhead Pride on this podcast with us each and every week. And we'll continue that work through this offseason. Keep the questions coming. Bring some some fun stuff in the offseason. Once we're able to step away from games, we can talk bigger picture. We can talk about non-football stuff uh, and have some fun with this thing going forward. Because this is, a, this is all about – you know, fun and a fan base that that enjoys their team and roots for their team through thick and thin. And there's been plenty of both this season, and there'll be more of that to come in the future, I'm sure. I'm excited to see what they do next season. And there's plenty of good things, as mentioned, on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We have a new Coast to Coast podcast, which is phenomenal. you got to catch that. The British Chiefs show, the editor show, um, Rod and BK, the show and BK. There's a ton of... Uh, of good content out there. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but make sure you're tuning in to all of those podcasts as you go forward, reading us at arrowheadpride.com and keeping in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at SagDSP, Ron's at at Ron underscore cop. Looking forward to hearing from you as the offseason goes on. Thank you so much for sticking with us today and throughout the season, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>